0: I thought for the last uh, part of the program, maybe we could each uh, reflect on what we heard on, on, on the panel today and from the experts, um, uh, and a bit more about you know, how we each read the polls that we did. Um, I, uh, I have a couple, a couple of, of takeaways. Um, uh, the Republicans are very likely to take the House of Representatives, as, as you heard, and you can be pretty sure that when uh, they do, that um, there will be um, a lot of uh, bread and circuses, a lot of show trials, a lot of partisan attacks, as you just heard from Ron. You can um, bank on uh, the uh, uh, House Judiciary Committee um, uh, uh, pushing investigations of Hunter Biden, of you know, p- possibly impeachment hearings. Um, you can be sure the Oversight Committee will pick multiple targets. Um, Uh, to um, investigate and try to humiliate and and damage the Biden administration. Um, There will likely be um, more of a showdown over the budget, as you heard from Ron. Um, uh, And, you know, it's going to get a lot of attention in the media. However, as the American humorist Mark Twain said about the music of Richard Wagner, it's not as bad as it sounds. because. Not quite in the headlines. Uh, There's going to be, likely, some mundane but really important legislating actually going on. And um, the uh, US Study Center has the logo, um, Analysis of America, Insights for Australia. We're increasingly saying solutions for the alliance. Let's take this analysis, take these insights, good, bad, and ugly, think through how to um, uh, get things done. And I think the... um, a Republican House actually does uh, offer uh, opportunities for Australia and for those in the US who are focused on the Indo-Pacific and the Alliance to get things done. So, um, for example, the, likely, the ranking member of the House um, Armed Services Committee, uh, Mike, uh, Mike Rogers, um, uh, is likely to become the chair. Um, he is um, talking about a defense budget that begins with T as in trillion dollars, which is a pretty significant increase. Historically, defense stocks always go up when Republicans win, because Republicans spend more on defense. Um, Mike Rogers is also very likely to uh, put the heat on the administration to make AUKUS work. There are bureaucratic log jams that the governments are working on now, and um, uh, these are going to be the subject of committee hearings and letters to the Secretary of Defense. And... Quietly, um, there will be some people in the Biden administration who need that pressure uh, from the Congress. Um, So uh, that won't get tons of attention. Um, One reason is because of what Ron said. Um, A lot of these Republicans don't want to look like they're helping the administration. (laughs) Um, They'll pressure the administration. Um, They'll challenge them. Um, But they'll be pushing in the same direction as a lot of people in the Defense Department uh, or State Department, who are trying to get things done. Um, the the chair, uh, ranking member, like the chair of House um, International Affairs Committee, um, uh, Mike McCall, uh, national security background, um, counterterrorism task force leader, um, very strong record on alliances, very strong record on Japan and Australia. Um, uh, he's a traditional sort of Reagan Republican. Um, he's going to push. Uh, also for a um, uh, focus on alliances in, in this region. The most important committee for trade policy is the House uh, Ways and Means Committee, subcommittee on trade. The ranking member, Adrian Smith, is a, from a farming community in Nebraska, has, has been telegraphing for years that he wants to push the administration to do more on trade. Does he support TPP? Absolutely. Will he ever say it? Nope. Because <laughs> Trump voters, as you saw in our poll, are against the Trans-Pacific Partnership. Um, But would he be in a position and inclined to push the US Trade Representative's Office to make the the Indo-Pacific economic framework more substantive? Yes, a large majority of of Republicans and Democrats in our poll said the US needs to expand trade and investment in the Indo-Pacific and needs to collaborate more on technology with Australia and with Japan. So if you follow the somewhat anemic Indo-Pacific economic framework, it's not got a lot of substance yet. Um, in quiet ways, Republicans in the House and the business community are going to push for more substantive agreements on digital trade and some of the things Mia was talking about. Um, so there's going to be a lot of sturm and drang. There's going to be a lot of um, effort to, to humiliate and discredit uh, the Biden administration. In my own view, that's going to actually hurt Republicans. You know, when, when the Republicans pushed impeachment against Bill Clinton, it really hurt them in the next presidential election. But it'll, it'll look pretty bad and it'll get a lot of coverage. But I think for Australia there are, there are opportunities and I think Arthur Sinodinos and his successor, whoever that may be, um, will actually find coalition building possible. The, the American, uh, I say this as an academic, the American system of leadership, of hegemony, uh, of empire, whatever you want to call it, is different from the British, different from the Romans, different from previous periods of order in one very important respect, which is the American system with checks and balances and open uh, access uh, can be accessed by allies. There's a reason when, when uh, the US um, formed its alliances in 1951, we had half of global GDP. Today, it's less than 25%. One reason is because key allies and partners, Japan, Germany, Australia, could shape uh, the American decision-making process. Um, In fact, it's an important part of our process. So that's the second takeaway I have. Um, You look at the polls that we showed earlier, and there's a significant jump in the number of Americans who think alliance with Australia makes us safer. Another way to put that is, Americans realize we need our allies, and other polls confirm this, and especially at the top of the list are Australia, uh, Britain, and AUKUS, and Japan. Um, And so... I think that um, uh, b- both in a rec- Congress and in the administration, um, Australia is going to have a unique ability to get inside the decision-making loop with this new Congress and with the administration and start, f- and start playing a role in forging consensus on di- defense and diplomacy uh, and trade. I-, I saw this. I worked in the White House for almost five years in the Bush administration. And I read articles uh, frequently in Australia portraying the Howard government as, you know, this hapless, you know, sycophant. Um, I can tell you that's not how it looked inside the White House. Um, I sometimes went in to brief President Bush before he would call John Howard, and Michael Foley, the ambassador, would already already be in there talking to him. Um, uh, Because Australia is seen as um, an essential ally, when Australia says no... American presidents pay a price. But Australia doesn't say no. It's smarter than, Australia is smarter than that. Australia gets inside and shapes the decision making. I think that's gonna be even more of an opportunity because of the polls you see. Because Americans are worried about China and they see allies as an absolutely necessary solution. And that is, I can tell you, because I'm still fairly fresh from Washington, a pretty strong consensus um, in the Congress and the administration. In fact, as you've heard a couple times today, um, the China challenge and the importance of U.S. allies may be the most bipartisan area of American politics today. So that's a sweet spot. Um, but then the last takeaway I have is um, all that said, um, the the Australian public and the American public's worried about democracy. Um, you heard Ron Brownstein. Um, I was struck uh, and worried about our poll result that showed um, uh, a significant. Uh, Number of Australians, although as Victoria points out, it's gone down, but nevertheless a significant number of Australians question whether America is a force for good in the Indo-Pacific. That's a problem, and if the the narrative about American democracy and some of the things you can see are negative, it's going to put a challenge on any government in Canberra explaining why we're doing things with the U.S. when those things are more intimate than ever whether it's AUKUS or technology decoupling and collaboration. Um, and that's, um, that bears watching. So uh, it's as with all things American, we're weird. Um, uh, and it's a mixed message. But there are opportunities. And it takes a clear eye uh, to look for how to build on those. So let me, um, let me turn to my colleagues for some concluding thoughts uh, on what you saw in the survey and what you heard today.
1: Yeah, I mean, I'll begin. I, um... I think, yeah, this entire conference and what we heard today from Jane and yesterday from Jane, as well as digging into this research, I mean, I think maybe the point of difference here is not just that I'm an Australian, (laughs) although that accent just gets more and more stark the more I sit between these two, Um, but I'm also a young person. And so uh, I can speak to my personal experience of growing up Um, just after, uh, I mean, being a young person and having my entire childhood shaped by 9-11. And I grew up with the US always being there. Um, And I mean, to step on the toes of Jane's comment, Americans are weird. And that was sort of my perspective growing up. They've just always been a fact of reality. In my mind, um, and perhaps it's useful to um, reveal my biases here, but I don't always have a particularly rosy perspective of America. It's just something that I've grown up with never being particularly enamoured with America, um, which I think makes me an important critic. Um, In this space, particularly, I've grown up quite often seeing Americans as no offence, arrogant yanks, like that's kind of the Australian perspective is we see tall poppies and we want to cut them down and unfortunately that is very much part of my perspective and take on things even as a young person growing up. And then as Jane touched on for me, what changed was 2016. It was a big turning point personally in that I'd grown up with America as a reality. And from 2016, I grew up with America as a reality that really, really mattered to Australia and that would ultimately impact Australia's um, decision making and our own personal politics. And I think in the last five years, especially perhaps due to my own political consciousness maturing, but I think you can see the ways that Australia and the US have had to come to terms with our differences as well as our common values. And so looking today at the polling findings, as well as what we've been talking about in the midterms, finding the ways that we've converged and the ways that Australia and the US continue to see each other similarly and favourably is really encouraging. But also taking those differences in the ways that we view um, things differently very, very seriously is really important. And one of those ways um, is that 2016 being the turning point where it was the end of politics as usual, It clocked for me that it mattered, but you can also see in uh, our public opinion polling, I think it's on page 40, about the perspectives of um, what Republicans deem to be very important issues versus what Democrats deem to be very, very important issues. And um, maybe we'll be able to get the (laughs) slide up, possibly, we'll see. Um, But in terms of them coming to those issues so differently, that's perhaps something I've taken for granted as an Australian is that... These kind of, the extent of this partisan difference isn't quite so stark, um, whereas in America it is. And uh, being able to understand that and communicate that I think is part of what I think is so important about this polling and what I've found so interesting about our research on it is that more than ever Australians need to understand how this is the case. It's so different to our system. Um, it's so different to our experience as well, I think we possibly take for granted how easy our electoral process is. I've never had an issue voting, hardly ever had to queue, um, never had an issue registering. All those little things that I've taken for granted that we need to be able to explain to the Australian public how America works and how it is that we come against this gridlock, not just as a point of Schadenfreude, (laughs) my my German, which is quite often fun looking at American politics as sport, especially from a distance, because it feels so um, distant to us, but it's much more proximate than we think. the thing that i find most striking is that um, not only this polarization but i said at the top you know as an australian we love to cut cut down tall poppies um americans aren't tall poppies anymore we saw that in our um, table asking how concerned are you about the future of american democracy and both parties in a rare show of possible bipartisanship both parties republicans and democrats don't view the future of US democracy so rosily and merrily anymore. Um, And that is deeply concerning as an ally to know that our partner who often sees itself as kind of the last balustrade of the free world isn't viewing itself with so much optimism anymore. So that for me as well is particularly concerning but I also wanna reiterate that America isn't broken and that we still have so much more to do. And so this partnership is more and more um, consequential and vital going forward. And again, speaking as a young person, and our national security panel touched on this quite a lot, the future of cooperation looks like um, threats that come well outside of our borders, things like uh, emerging technologies and climate change. And they're the things that young people really, really care about. And so for me, I think it's essential that we continue to, and we will uh, produce, Um, as we've alluded to many times, that more findings from our reporting will be coming out, including an age breakdown. And so I think it's more and more important that we continue to engage young people, not just on um, future issues within our own country, but engaging young people in the importance of the US-Australian relationship Altogether, we can't throw the baby out with the bathwater. America's here to stay, um, especially in Australia, and it's more important than ever. And we need to make sure that, myself included, the younger generations continue to respect that vitality and to operationalize it in a way that meets both our common objectives going forward. So I think they're my findings.
2: Thanks, Victoria. Um, so to follow up on those great insights, I, I think. Um, In doing this polling, we focus so much on polling, but why do we focus on polling? We want to understand things, we want to understand why things are the way they are. Also, I think for for me, I want to understand stories. I want to understand how do Americans think of themselves and then also how do our allies think of America. And I think this is probably one of my favorite tables to this as well as the one we were just showing before that I'll I'll slide back to. So we, we had this on the screen for a while today. But it's just still shocking to me how much we read in the press, in the media, and in in our capital cities, in our major urban areas, about how bad democracy is in America and how, how much it is... Dominating the discourse, and you know, Mike and I have both lived in D.C., and Jan. Six was personal. We, you know, know people in, who like had to flee, right? And it's 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 not just uh, something on the news, but the rest of America saw January Six on TV, and it, it's. Does not resonate in the rest of America in the same way that it may resonate in D.C. And you know when, when we were founded, the U.S. Studies Center, we, we were founded in the wake of the Iraq War, where, where the largest protest of all time, I believe, was in Australia, was against the Iraq War, and, and sentiment towards the alliance is pretty negative. And since since then, um, sentiment towards the alliance has has increased, but. What we want to do at the U.S. Study Center is provide some nuance. And what I just want to flag is that nuance on this issue of American democracy. We heard Ron talk about it. We've heard about January 6th a lot. And we can see it in the numbers here that Americans are very concerned about it. But what I find fascinating is two things. One, the story that Americans tell themselves, yeah, it is very worrying. The way the U.S. democracy is working, most Americans can agree. We don't agree on much these days, but we agree that things are broken. We agree, China maybe is annoying, and democracy isn't working great, right? Beyond that, that's you know those 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 uh, areas of convergence. It, it's hard to find uh, common ground. But what I find fascinating though is when you look at the prioritization of democracy in uh, American voters, and just how it is not something that is, if I can work this clicker, it is not something that is now top of mind in American voters' uh, opinions, in the way it may have been soon after January 6th. Technology, gotta love it. Um, here we go. Soon after January 6th, uh, you saw in the summer in particular, you saw it was maybe top of mind, same with abortion. This one of the reasons why the Democrats are now losing steam in the midterm elections is that it's just not important anymore. Democracy, abortion, uh, uh, Black Lives Matter, it's things that we, we thought would really change the election, um, climate change, things that, that we read about a lot in our work, in our major urban areas, is they don't resonate with the American public now, less so now than they did six months ago. And I think it's I just want to really just focus on that understanding of the prioritization of the lived experience in America and what is actually driving people to the polls. And you can live your life in America and, uh, and have January 6th go on and it has no impact on you. You cannot live your life in America right now and not be impacted by inflation. That is the, the lived experience. Similar with crime. If your city has a lot of crime, and, and plenty of cities in particular have some pretty bad crime these days, you cannot ignore that. And so as much as we focus focused today about democracy and just how concerned Americans are about it and how interestingly uh, our U- uh, Australian and Japanese allies are, are less concerned about it uh, than Americans, um, it is not top of mind in this midterm election, and it's actually one of the reasons why Republicans probably will be doing better in this election than they probably would have uh, thought they were just three months ago. I talked about earlier that that uh, impressive summer of accomplishments for the Biden administration, that, that period is over. So we can talk about the long-term democratic challenges in America, but the immediate, in the next few weeks, impact of that is the midterm elections were not there's a good chance we're not going to see it in those midterm results. Democracy is not driving, or the threat to democracy is not driving as many Americans to the voting booth as you would think, given how much people like us talk about democracy and, and the impact on the alliance. And so with that, we only have a few minutes left, but I wanted to, if possible, see if we could go back to a polling question that we asked at the very beginning about how concerned um, we asked about whether uh, U.S., is the direction of U.S. politics a liability for the alliance? And again, there we are. If you could um, get this on your phone so that we could take a, uh, a poll and see, this is something we thought we, we would borrow from the intelligence squared model, where we could, we, we had an earlier number today, about uh, the percentage of people in the room and how and whether the direction of viewers' politics is a liability for the alliance. We want to see if maybe we've shifted some some uh, hearts and minds just in our little gathering today. So we'll give that a few uh, a few more seconds. Um, and there we go. You can see it up there. And I think the number we hit earlier was it's like eight. watching footy. It's exciting. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Very nervous. Yeah. <laughs> I think the number we hit earlier was uh, if yeah we have just a couple less uh, responses than this morning. I think we had maybe 24 this morning, but you know what? We actually just hit it. It was
0: 83. Yeah. We hit the exact same number.
1: Consistent. So this room
0: is consistent with the American political system, completely divided, <laughs> <laughs> deeply uh, embedded in their positions. Yeah, and so. I find that interesting that
2: we haven't uh, maybe changed some opinions. But maybe in the last few minutes, we can talk about, if I can get... There we go. Something that a lot of people want to talk about. And um, talking about 2024. And again, we were talking about chocolate cake. This is the cherry on top. And this is what <laughs> we did asked as Americans. As soon as you hear an American accent, in my experience, in Australia... Number one question I get asked is, is something about Trump, and so this is where we um, ask folks whether their their thoughts on whether a a, um, a Trump or in a Biden election how they would respond to it, whether it would be really bad. Now, context for this: when we last polled folks about their opinions on Donald Trump in, in the Republican parties, we did partisan scaling, and we found that ninety percent of coalition voters in Australia are uh, in Australia are. To the left, to more progressive than your median Trump voters. Again, ninety percent of coalition voters are more progressive than your median Trump voters. So we should not think that somehow coalition and uh, and the Republican Party are fully aligned on this. So I found I found this one really interesting. But I guess maybe I could ask my my co-panelists, especially Mike, who is in D.C. when so many of these recent. Um, Um, events have occurred your thoughts on a Biden versus Trump election and um, how Australia should should navigate such uh,
0: choppy waters ahead well as you heard from Ron Brownstein the electorate is pretty sharply divided so you're playing for Pennsylvania Michigan in presidential election you're playing for Pennsylvania Michigan Wisconsin Arizona um, a few more basically 10 states and so anything's possible and as Ron said, if you have 9%, 10% inflation, that's really bad for the incumbent party, no matter whether it's Biden or whoever they put up. Um, I think most economists don't forecast that. Um, and so the, the economic wins, um, we don't know, but you know will, will, will not likely be what they are today. Um, I have a slightly different view from you, Jared, on what Americans think about democracy. I think the reason that um, Herschel Walker in Georgia or um, other Trump candidates are doing badly is because at some level voters are worried about their character and are worried about their election denialism. And I do think the Senate vote is, uh, between the lines, something of a referendum on that. And um, now those candidates could win anyway because of inflation and other issues. Um, but I think that bears very careful scrutiny. Um, and um, while the Republican... Uh, party is not rational, as Ron said, and is not going to carefully analyze uh, a, a defeat in the Senate if that happens and say, well, we, we can't ride the Trump wave. If you're looking at the opinion polls within the Republican Party, they're shifting. And um, uh, more Republicans now think Ron DeSantis is the future of the party than, than Donald Trump. So um, this election, we'll see, but I think it's going to be maybe not a rational Opportunity for reflecting on what Trumpism means to the Republican Party, but it's going to have an effect. And um, uh, now, um, uh, what should Australia do about it? Um, well, maybe we should ask Victoria. She's the only Australian <laughs> on the panel. Um, but um, don't do what Europe did. Don't do what Canada did uh, under Trudeau. Certainly don't do what um, uh, 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 some European countries did. Um, running against Trump. Mm. Is the best way to make sure Australia loses the ability to shape what comes next yeah. you don't want to and it was, it was interesting that the, 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 the leaders who chose to sort of work with the Trump administration were in parts of the world that are the most dangerous. so it was first and foremost Abe in Japan, uh, Moon in Korea, um, you know uh, turbul in Australia. they didn't have the luxury of saying. I'm gonna run against the American president, I'm gonna fight with the American president. This was before Ukraine, uh, well, after Crimea, but before the current Ukraine invasion. I think Europeans felt they had more latitude. So I I think um, uh, that would not be a good choice. Mm. (laughs) And as an American, I really hope that doesn't happen. Because in the Trump administration, what I don't think people fully appreciated was how much um, Japan, Australia, Britain, other key allies, worked with members of the trump administration and republicans in congress to very quietly block donald trump the best example and i was a front row witness was when the president uh, uh, was on his way to singapore to meet kim jong-un and he told his staff he was going to announce we're going to pull troops out of korea you know for the shock value and they quietly made sure the key republican senators knew Uh, legislation was passed making that impossible without congressional approval Um, japan australia were quietly in that mix. So you want to be in the room when it happens, no matter how ugly it is. So that would be my main advice. But I'm not Australian, so <laughs> it all is on you, Victoria. Yes, oh, Victoria.
1: <laughs> oh, so much pressure. Um, I think the, the thing that stands out for me, obviously, it's clocked with Australians that a second Trump term would have an impact on them. And a lot of people are assessing that as a negative thing. What I would say, and and watching this and watching candidates come through the primaries for the Senate that don't have a huge amount of experience, that are like MAGA Trumpist candidates like Herschel Walker, like J.D. Vance, watching them come through for me reiterates how Australia doesn't seem to advance these more extreme... Um, political ideologies to institutional positions of power and one of the reasons that we have that is because of our system of compulsory voting because of our Australian Electoral Commission and so I look at this and I see that Australians think a second Trump term will be a very bad thing but I also want to encourage Australians to remember that our institutions are very different and that we have institutional protections that protect us from heading down a pathway similar to America that seems like a liability for us that does advance more extreme candidates, that does lead to extreme gridlock in Congress. And I also want to encourage people to remember that legislating is still happening. I mean, Jared has told us already this year that despite having, um, you know, Trump, sure, influences the Republican Party, but still Democrats and Republicans have found ways to work together and advance policies that benefit Australia, whether that's the Chips and Science Act, whether that's the Inflation Reduction Act. There's scope for Australia to work within these, Th- these movements within the Republican Party and there's still Republicans there that Democrats can work with that enable uh, that grant us benefits uh, Vicariously, so I also I've registered that it's a very bad thing But I also want Australians to have hope in their own system and the things that protect our democracy and maintain the robustness of our own democracy
0: the, the um, I, th- I think we need to wrap up. So um, uh, uh, I think we still have on our website uh, the um, discussion with um, Uh, an American author who has made the case for compulsory voting in the U.S. based on the Australian example, Um, but it probably won't happen, (laughs) but what might happen and what is worth watching is um, rank preference, which you see in Alaska and other states, which has a similar effect of bringing out the middle and um, and weakening the extremes. So there are other pathways, Mm. but Victoria's right. The structural differences are quite significant. Um, We're at the um, end of our proceedings and we wanna leave some time for a networking lunch. Um, So if I could conclude, thank you again. Uh, uh, Jared and Victoria spent a huge amount of time designing this survey, working with the different parts of the center and our our non-resident fellows um, and um, YouGov uh, uh, to, to make sure we had something that was really original, insightful and to some extent actionable. So thanks again. Um, Thank you also to uh, Janine Pinto and to um, uh, Gopika and uh, Umber and the rest of the team who helped uh, Mari uh, pull this all together, and to Peter Amir and Peter Lee for joining us earlier. Um, uh, uh, Thank you to uh, to the U.S. Embassy. Actually, the U.S. Embassy gave us some of the funding uh, to get Jane here so that she could tell you Americans are weird. (laughs) I love that, that the State Department paid for a prominent American <laughs> thought leader to come and tell Australians Americans are weird, and you're all thinking we didn't need you to we tell know. us that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I thought she was fantastic. It was really interesting. But the, the, the embassy helped us get her here and paid for part of this, and so thank you as well. Let me just ask the chairman of the board um, of the Australian Center, Mark uh, Bailey, to give a closing uh, appreciation.
3: Why do this. Does use this? Um, does that oh, work? Is this, this working? Yeah. That's yeah. Okay. Um, thanks, Mike. And uh, can I just endorse your um, thanks to all um, those who uh, participated and supported today's event? Um, I think today's event um, is a great exposition of the reason that the US Studies Centre exists. We were set up, um, as, as uh, Jared mentioned in the aftermath of the Iraq war, to help educate Australians about the US, Help aid their understanding. Um, Importantly, to provide a balanced view of what's happening in the U.S. And I I, I always remember a comment that someone made once: that anyone who says they understand the U.S. don't believe them, because it is such a complex uh, society and country. Um, Just a a little uh, fact that I uh, came across to to sort of support that: Um, in the decade of the twenty up to 2020, the decade. The American economy grew by five Australian economies. So every two years it was adding an Australian economy to it. So we think our country is complex but every year it's adding half an Australian economy to it and I think that that just summed up in my mind how complex uh, the country is. Um, We are as Australians fascinated about America um, and I think Testament to that, apparently in 2016, which uh, we had both a a federal election and a a presidential election, there was twice as much coverage um, in Australia about the US election compared to our own election. So it is a consequential uh, country for us. Um, uh, Victoria, to your comments, um, I'm old enough to remember um, America in the early 70s, late 60s, and the complete Sense of disarray in terms of the protests. Apparently, there was like two or three thousand. Uh, I think in, in the one year of the 70s, uh, acts of domestic terrorism in the U.S. as they were burning uh, public buildings and so on. So I, I can see um, over a longer period of time the U.S. at its you know low point. But I can also see its resilience and rein, um, its ability to reinvent itself. And I think. We're obviously going through a period of uncertainty at the moment with the US, but I think, um, you know, we we study the US because we, we want to and we can, not because we must and we have to. And I think that's a very important difference between our value system and what we are dealing with in terms of the broader strategic issues that we are um, dealing with today. So again, can I thank you um, both here in the room but also online uh, for uh, being with us today. I look forward to um, you participating in further uh, uh, events for the US Studies Centre and uh, wish you all the best for the rest of the day. Thank you.